Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. I am your host, Lisa Ann, and I would like to extend my gratitude to you for making me a part of your listening experience, whether you listen, available on all platforms, or whether you watch. So Wednesdays, my podcast drops the new episode every week on listening platforms, and on Fridays, I do a fun, fun premiere on my YouTube channel, which is The Real Lisa Ann. Now, mind you, Weekends like last weekend, I was at Exotic on Friday night at my booth. I couldn't be on a live premiere, but this marks the official time of the season where I get to stay home. I actually said goodbye to my suitcases as I put them in storage last night after I unpacked. I was like, I will not be seeing you guys for a little while. We're going to stay put. So I will be present for my YouTube live premieres on Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's a great time for me to sit and chat with my community Everybody that likes to watch the podcast, we catch up on our week in the beginning. Uh, Maybe some have listened or some have not, but it's a really fun space. So you can subscribe to my YouTube channel and you'll know when an update is coming out, whether it's a travel vlog, something sports related, or a new episode of the podcast. You can also go back and catch up on any episodes you've missed. And there's so many great conversations that I've been able to have like today. So I do have a guest and this is exciting because this is the time of the year where we think about things that inspire us. We think about things we like to do to relax and reading is one of my favorite ways to relax. So I have an author today and I have somebody that really weaves in with my life in so many different ways from my Houston connections with Sports Radio 610 as I do Fantasy Football Fridays every single Friday, and also with my connection to being an author as I've written two books, The Life and The Life Back. Both are available on Amazon. You can get them personally autographed through my store, shoplisaann.com. And before I bring the guest, we've got to catch up. So I mentioned it. I get to stay put. One of the things I love the most about living in New York City is being here on the holidays. It is a spectacular time to be here. Every window is dressed beautifully. The lights, the snowflakes on Fifth Avenue, the excitement. It's busy. You see all the tourists in town taking pictures everywhere. And it's like, oh, the New York vibes are super high this time of the year. And so I get to be here. I get to stay put and not travel. I logged it last week. I went into my American Airlines app and was like, all right, let's see what we accomplished this year. We accomplished over 240,000 miles. It didn't even seem like that much, but as I was considering trying to put put together a year in review for social media, I was like, all right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take one or two photos from each thing we've done, and we're going to put them into a folder on our phone, and then we'll be able to do a recap. I'm only at April right now, and I've been putting an hour a day into this project. That's reminded me how many places I've been, how many amazing trips I've taken, and how many people I've met while I've been on those trips. I got to go to Jamaica this year. I went to Bahamas this year. I went to Greece. I went to Vegas seven times for Sapphire Las Vegas uh, to host all kinds of amazing events. Um, Went to Italy. Uh, went to Australia, back and forth to LA quite a few times. There were trips everywhere, St. Louis. So I'm going through this and it's actually been a really fun ride down memory lane. And it's also made me even more glad that I get to say toodles 
to my suitcases for a little while and get to order more than a week's worth of groceries, food prep, and all the things I truly love and miss. But it was a great year and a year of so many reconnections and new connections. And just like last weekend, back at Exotica in DC, the last Exotica of the year. And this year was different. Normally, we'll go in on Thursday on the train. And I need to be there Friday so I can be doing the sports junkies in the morning. And then I do my fantasy football Fridays from the hotel. But this year, you know, I have my Thursday nights. It's Sapphire every Thursday night. So I'm like, okay, well, we left for the Jersey show after my gig at Sapphire, but that's only an hour drive. We're not going to drive four and a half, five hours to, it's actually outside of DC and Virginia to this event. So we'll go in the morning and I'll just do my hits from the car. So my friend Justin picked us up, picked up Joanna Angel first, came and scooped me up and Joanna rode shotgun so I could sit in the back and have this office set up, my Wi-Fi router, my laptop on my lap, doing my call-ins. And we got out there, got right to the show, and it was a great event. The last one of the year. It just flies by. At the beginning of the year, you write the schedule down, you put it in all your stuff, and you're like, oh, it's forever from now. And then boom, it's here. And the last one, and it was great. It was great because I didn't have to do, I didn't do any night events this time. I just relaxed. I went in, I did the show. Of course, Friday, I was a little bit tired. Friday night, there was no even time for dinner. Joanna and Justin were like, do you want us to order food? And I'm like, by the time it gets here, I will be fast asleep. I need to sleep. So I got in a good 10 hours. Saturday was ready to rally, enjoyed the show all day, had a beautiful dinner at this awesome restaurant that we love next door to the hotel where we stay out in Virginia for the show and uh, drove back Sunday after the show, after my book reading. And I met some new people. I got to see some familiar faces, but more than anything, I'm so grateful to be able to do these events and to just catch up with everyone and see so many people excited to talk to me, whether it's about fantasy football, sports betting, my books, so many things. And as I was heading out there on Friday, it was December 1st, which was the day where I could pull the curtain back and unveil my new big secret, which is better halves. Now, Better Halves, you can follow on all social media at Better Halves XM. Better Halves is a new show that I'm doing six episodes with the hopes that this show gets picked up and you'll be hearing it every single week. You'll be able to find it on Raw Comedy, which is Sirius XM Channel 99. I chose my co-host and I chose Brett Rabel, who I've had on my podcast, who I found incredibly hilarious. And then I got to go watch Brett's play with Dean Edwards. Remember, I also had them both on together if you're an avid listener. The play was Race the Play the Movie. Uh, it's a hilarious, hilarious play. And it's a play that Brett and his best friend wrote. And then Brett pulled everybody together. And so I remember the first time Lainey and I went to go see it. It was at a smaller theater. And I remember sitting in the front row and thinking, damn, Brett is a leader. He's uh, a friend. He's a comedian. He's a stage actor. Like I want to be closer connected to this human being because he just inspired me that night. Then the show got picked up off Broadway, another location, a nicer, a nicer soundstage, nicer theater. And I had to go again and show my support. And at this time it was still wheels turning, wheels turning. How am I going to collab with Brett Rabel? 
And so when this show was brought to me earlier this year, things do move a little bit slow, uh, especially with Sirius, but I'm used to that because I worked with Sirius for seven years. And one of the draws to this show, many draws, but one is that we pre-record because nothing's live on raw comedy. So it's great. We pre-record. That doesn't hold me up on my schedule. But the second draw really was being back in studio. There is something so magical about 1221 Avenue of the Americas. I still feel it every single time I walk into that building. And so you know, when you go and you watch The Devil Wears Prada, that lobby is the lobby of the Sirius XM building where they shot the intro, the clackers, uh, walking in and out of the building. That's the Sirius XM building. And I remember watching it and realizing that before they had remodeled and being like, oh my gosh, my favorite movies and the place where I work. And the energy, the people, the just looking at everybody else in their studios and the fact that I could be back in the building. I mean, I live in New York City and I'm doing everything remotely. What is the point? I want to go in somewhere. I want to see people in person. And I want to be reminded of how great it felt in 2013 when I did my first show for Sirius XM. When I started to build my new life, it was so exciting to be in the industry for as many years as I had. And it's also still just as exciting to get to play dress up and go to all of these events. I got to go to an event in Greece. I got to go to an event in Switzerland last year. I got to go to Australia this year. Like this is a true gift that I'm still able to travel. But I remember the fear of not knowing what was next for me. What am I going to be good at? I've been doing this for so many years. What, where will I fit in? Where will I be accepted? I mean, there were all these constant thoughts. And so when I would go and visit shows on Sirius XM, I have those clear memories of what that felt like. And so hearing that I could be back in a studio where I can back away from a microphone, where I can stand or I can sit, where there's great lighting and there's cameras everywhere and I'm not building everything was definitely a factoid in the excitement. So as we were sitting and talking about who would be a good co-host, it's going to be a comedy-based show. We're going to cover current events, which we're calling trends. We came up with this uh, uh, segment called Triggered and that segment was triggered by the list of titles that Brett had sent me. So I'd gone through quite a few meetings and we were at the final point where we're like, okay, we're going to do six episodes of this and see if it gets picked up. Sirius XM is launching their new app. I get to be a part of that launch. This is really exciting. And it got to, to the nuts and bolts of, all right, well, who's going to sit in the chair next to you? And I was thinking about, we're going to do some dating questions. And when I had done that one-off show on Valentine's Day with comedian Matt Reif on Raw Comedy, which is what inspired Better Haves, I realized that dating questions are kind of better when it's a when it's a male and female answering back and forth. Because I realized Matt had totally different answers than I did, especially about the friend zone. Matt gave the guy's perspective of the friend zone. I gave the female perspective of the friend zone. We had very different thoughts. So I was like, all right got to find a guy. And I'm going, and it just hit me. And I said it in the meeting and it just so happened that Paul, our amazing producer, who I'm so glad to get to work with. Paul was like, oh, Brett's an up and comer. I had him in studio promoting his play. And so right away, everybody was on board. And then I got to make the call to Brett. Hey, Brett, 
you know, is this something that would interest you? And he was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, Brad, I'm going to make sure your name is put in the title. This is going to be really good for both of our growth and something new for us to do together, something great for social media. And Brett has since that day not stopped thanking me. And I'm like, Brett, you got to stop thanking me. This is a, this is a dual effort. And I'm just as excited to work with Brett as Brett is excited to work with me. So our first episode will launch on December 15th. We took advantage during New York Comedy Week, which was also the week I got home from Australia. So I had to go right in the studio after that trip. Way worth it. We took advantage and got in some great comedians. So we already had three guests. We're, we're going to be doing a couple more episodes next week. So we have more guests coming in. And it's going to be a fun space for comedians because after the show, whatever clips that SiriusXM has in their archives, and we do a little showcase of that comedian, which is pretty cool. So we did our episodes, we got some pre-recorded and December 1st was the day where we actually got to post on social media about it. Meanwhile, I've been talking about it, but I can't tell you yet. And I love keeping secrets. And now the cat's out of the bag and it out of the bag on the day that I'm already going to Exotica and I'm excited about this and posted up the first post with me and Brett and all the tags are at better halves SXM. So I'm very excited. I need all of your support. Give us follows on social media because we're only doing six with the hopes that this will be a weekly show, which means I get to walk into the Sirius XN building again. And the second day we were recording, Jimmy Fallon was in studio. So there were like a ton of PR people in the hallways and it felt like the Sirius XM before the pandemic. Like everything's busy. The hustle and bustle is real. There's photographers in the lobby. The whole Stern crew, I just passed by everyone except Stern and got to catch up. And I saw so many familiar faces. And it, everyone was like, Lisa, are you back? Are you back? I'm like, well, I'm in here right now and I'm hoping to be back in here on the regular. So this is something new and exciting in my space. Giving me a little more ways to get reps, talking, communicating, doing radio, getting to get my chops going on funny storytelling and things that happen on the day-to-day. So Brett and I are keeping notes of our weeks in our phones. And then, you know, we drop things that triggered us that week. We go through trending stories that like really hit home with us that are funny. And we're going to have a great time on this show. So it's going to be up to you to decide who is the better half. Each week it does change because one week one of us does a good deed in our better half segment. We tell a story and then one week we do not so good of a deed. So it goes back and forth, but we're going to do some on man on the street reporting and we're going to approach some couples and ask couples who in this relationship is the better half. So a new show for you all to enjoy. I'm really excited about it. So there was that. Got home from DC last night. And before I left for DC, I was like, you know what, Lisa, you're getting home late Sunday night. You're going to have to record the monologue and mailbag for your podcast. Uh, You have your betting pick for Monday night football, my Monday night minute for Sapphire Las Vegas. But the most of your day should be getting resituated, ordering groceries, doing you things. So I had set up an hour hyperbaric chamber treatment followed by cryotherapy. I did both of those first thing this morning. Greatest way I got up got in a really good workout. I work out extra hard when I know I'm going to cryotherapy because I know even if I'm sore, I'm not going to be sore once I go to cryo. So I could just lift until my arms and my legs are shaking, which I did. 
By the time I laid down in the chamber, I was asleep, slept the whole hour, just amazing. And then this evening I'll get a massage, watch the Monday night football game and be ready to rally for the rest of this month. Just some like time to recharge. But I got to say, holidays, gift giving, book buying, calendar buying, I got home to six orders on my store. So that was the first thing I did this morning because I find so much joy in filling my store orders, walking over to the post office. And I'm going to tell you this, every single time I walk to the post office, I think about how difficult it was in LA. I would get an order and I would want to fill it and take it to the post office, but I would have to look at my watch and be like, oh, it's this time. Post office is five miles away. It's going to take you an hour. Do you want to do this? No, you'd wait till the next day and you'd fit it in. Now I go whenever I want. The freedom of walking is just the greatest feeling. It's just so simplistic. And it's like, boom, I'm going to get there as fast as I walk there. Filled my six orders, got those out, and just super excited to know that people go to my store at shoplisaand.com, support me, and trust. Like, you're trusting that I'm going to ship out your order. There's something to be said for that. I like being a part of that trust. I like trying to beat Amazon Prime. I like getting the orders out right away. So, if you're looking for a gift, I have a 2024 adventure calendar. It's got all kinds of cool shots. Me hanging off the climb at the edge, uh, me in Greece, me in Switzerland, Vegas, um, paragliding and interlocking. It is a great calendar. You can find it on my store. But so I filled those. I got ready to rally and now it is the holiday season. I've already gotten the Rockettes in once so far this season. I have three more visits to the Rockettes. I'm excited about the rest of them as well. I love that show. And I got to take Joanna Angel. It was Joanna's first time. And it's so fun to sit next to somebody and hear their oohs and ahs and hear the things that they love. And they have these fairies that fly around. This is a new addition post-pandemic. Uh, and I know that they're just like Barbies with drones and they have fairy wings on them, but the way they fly around is so darn cute. And each show there's like one that doesn't land in the right spot and somebody needs to go out in all black on the stage and retrieve this like Barbie drone fairy. And I like to watch the whole process of it. But if you're going to be in the city, whether it's this year or next year, go to see the Rockettes. Radio City Music Hall is magical. It's one of the most nostalgic places in the city to me. And to see a show there and to see the Rockettes, also nostalgic. I grew up going to see the Rockettes. And every time I see them, I have the same thought. If any sports team in any major sports could be that in sync, everything would be different. Things would be so much more competitive the way they work to be the choreography, the just ability to just not get in each other's way, the moving pieces. It's an elaborate show. It's a fast paced show. It's 90 minutes. It's a beautiful time to be out. We first went to dinner, then did the show. And then Joanna made us reservations at the Pebble Bar, which is this tiny little bar in 30 Rock. Super cute. Uh, we had a cocktail or two there, sat and enjoyed, and then went home and it was the perfect New York City. I am so ready for the holidays. I'm ready to see everybody else looking. Oh, we went and visited the tree and it was the night before the tree lighting. So we got to get the last night photos of the tree at Rock Center before the lights were lit. Pretty spectacular. So the holidays are here and I could not be more excited. I will still be doing every single Thursday night at Sapphire 39. And I'm also adding 
Sunday afternoon football watching at Sucker Punch in New York City, another location carrying my wine, Lisa by Lisa Am. So before I get to my guest, I want to remind you all an experience like I talked about with Ticket Rev would be something similar to the Rockettes. Maybe you want to go to a game, a show, a concert, any sort of a live event. Instead of buying someone a gift, unless it's a book, especially if it's the book that is this week's guest's book, it's a shared experience is, is the perfect gift. My friends and I stopped giving gifts years ago. We do something together. We make a plan, whether it's a ski trip, whether it's a dinner, whatever it may be, we just do something together. Get tickets through Ticket Rev as a gift and get make that photo, make that memory, make that happen. Learn more at TicketRev.com. You can follow on all social media at TicketRev and you can download the TicketRev app. Now, mind you, as a buyer, you pay no fees. And that's one of the biggest hitches when you're planning to go to a show or a concert is you, you go in and check out. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is way more than it was five minutes ago. Those fees add up and there are none of those at TicketRev. So check it out. And now it is time. The moment you've been waiting for, the guest for today, a book that you are going to really enjoy. And the book is right here. The novel written by today's guest, Brooke Bentley, Sideline Confidential. Today, I bring you a great conversation from one of the very special people that knew the moment that she saw somebody doing something, that that was the dream that she was going to chase. Since then, writing a novel that we're here to talk about today, Sideline Confidential. I'm joined by Brooke Bentley, who you can follow on social media at Brookie Bentley and find out everything about Brooke at brookebentley.com. Brooke, thank you so much for joining me today. Lisa Ann, thank you for having me. It is great to speak here. We have these stories. We hear athletes all the time. When I was eight years old, I saw a basketball game and I knew that was what I wanted to do. When you were a young woman, you saw a sideline reporter and knew before there were a lot of women as sideline reporters that this was what you wanted to do. Can you share that story? That's right. So I grew up in Houston, Texas, and it was a huge tomboy. I love sports. I played volleyball, basketball, ran track, and I would always ask for Rockets tickets for Christmas. I mean, that's my dream was to go to Rockets games. And so my dad would take me and my sister and I saw Hannah Storm, who is now on ESPN, but she's from Houston. I saw her on the basketball court and she got her start in Houston on the radio. I mean, she's one of the first females on the radio. And, um, but I saw her covering the Rockets and um, then I saw Lisa Malowski. So there were two prominent women in Houston covering sports, which really was unheard of at the time. And um, I looked at my dad and I said, I want to be them. That's who I want to be. And I just felt a calling to follow that dream. And even in my high school yearbook, it says found in 10 years reporting on the sidelines. I mean, everyone knew that's what I wanted to do. And from school, you go to college and you start to cover a college to your college team, I imagine, right? That's the next progression. Well, so I went to school at Davidson in North Carolina, and most people know it as the school that Steph Curry went to. And I played volleyball there and I loved it. Um, and I thought, you know what, I need to have a very practical path and earn money after school and I'm going to become an attorney. And so I worked at a law firm for a little bit. Yeah. And that's how I felt, Lisanne. <laughs> So I was like, this is not for me. I need to follow my dream. And so I applied to journalism school at USC in LA. And 
uh, I went to the Annenberg School of Communication at USC. And that's when Matt Leinart was quarterback and Reggie Bush was the running back. Pete Carroll, head coach and USC football ruled Los Angeles. And I got very lucky because I got on a media team that was covering USC football. And so I, I got like firsthand experience of what it's like to be covering, you know, I was literally doing one-on-one interviews with Pete Carroll and I, I had a sports show, Trojan timeout. And, you know, I had Mark Sanchez on my show and Brian Cushing and all these people who went on to be in the NFL. And so I, I really got great experience, experience that normal, I think, you know, graduate students don't get, but because it's LA, because it was USC football, I got that. And then from graduate school, I got a job with the Houston Texans because of all those experiences. The Houston Texans were looking to bring their media in house and, that's when they wanted to own the media rights to the radio broadcast of games, to television shows, so you can control the message and obviously sell the advertising rights. And the Cowboys and the Patriots were some of the first teams to do that and obviously made a lot of money from it. So a lot of teams followed suit. And so when the Texans wanted to do that, they, they wanted a face for all that. And I happened to be from Houston and I'd had this experience with USC. And so I got hired. And Lisa Ann, wow, it was a lot to be in my mid-20s going straight from graduate school to the NFL. I mean, it was really like I had my own welcome to the NFL moments because I was so young and that's the most powerful sports organization in the world. And from the moment I started, I was like, okay, I'm in over my head a little bit. I, I, I got this, I can do this. But I kept having moments where I thought I'm gonna write this down because one day this could be a book. And I, I feel like it's the devil wears Prada that said in the NFL. And one day I think I'm gonna write a book about this. And did you always have that theory, the devil wears Prada in the NFL? I, you know, I did. I loved that book and, um, and the movie as well. And my first week in uh, my job with the Texans, my boss called me into his office and he said, Brooke, listen, we're not comfortable with you riding the bus with the team, the games. We think you could be a distraction. And I looked at him and I was like, is, is he kidding? And he said, you know, we are not used to having women traveling on our team, buses or planes you um, are not part of our routine. We don't like things that aren't part of our routine. And I just don't want to take that risk of, of you being a, a potential reason why we could lose a game. And I'm thinking these players play in front of 70,000 screaming fans next to cheerleaders. Like, why would I be a distraction of, you know, in my cheap, like express suit at that point, I had no money to buy any like nice clothes. I was like, really me? And so I said, no, yep. You're, you need to ride a different bus. And um, so that was the first moment I thought, okay, that is going in my book. Now I got to know the team and I eventually was riding the bus with the rest of the team. And, and that sort of worked itself out. It's a little bit different in the book because the book is fiction. So I get to play that up. But I, that was my impetus for wanting to write this story because I thought, wow, you know, women really are treated differently. I'm looked at and I'm like, oh, you're a young woman. You could potentially want to date those players. You could potentially want to be with them. I don't know if I trust you. And if I'd been a young male, I would have been on the bus. I mean, there would have been no extra bus for me. And there wouldn't have even been a conversation. But for you, someone that at a, at a young age, Brooke, saw two women working the sideline pursue this and then realize, oh, now I'm the only woman on this sideline. And not only are you the only woman, but you're the first that's kind of having these experiences for a team that doesn't know how to manage it. In today's world, if somebody said, you can't do something because you're a woman and you'll be a distraction, my mind right. would be blown. <laughs> That's how interesting this, this transformation of how we've adapted. But 
as much as we want to say we adapted, there's still a lot of old school, especially in the NFL. We have gotten better with referees. I think there's what, six female referees in the NFL right now. Yeah. And, and assistant coaches, there's several women assistant coaches in the NFL, which is amazing. I mean, there's Lisa, and there's been progress without a doubt, uh, especially on the reporting side. I mean, you see so many female reporters and Doris Burke, look what she's done with play by play her NBA games. I mean, she's broken a ton of barriers. So uh, yes, progress has been made. I think the NFL itself, like working for the league in the upper echelons is very difficult for women to rise the ranks there. I mean, you've seen several, Amy Trask has done it, but there's not a lot of women who've done it. And, um, you know, I originally wrote my book and based it on the time frame when I worked for the Texans, which is 2007 through 2010 in that time period. And an agent said to me, she said, Brooke, really, it doesn't have to be set then. Look at what is happening in Washington, D.C. with Dan Snyder. This book can be current day. And I thought, you're right. This is because I was, you know, I really started to work on it more in 2020. And I thought, all that news was coming out about the toxic culture oh, in Washington, yeah. D.C. and cheerleaders being propositioned, um, you know, note writing scandals. And I'd, I'd actually written a note writing scandal in my book. And I thought, this is mirroring what's actually happening. And I can write this today. So I, I did change some of the references and I went back and edited it with that in mind. But I realized there's been progress that's been made, but not enough. And especially when you're working within the league, it's just a little bit different. Yeah, it is completely different. And there's so many variables that people don't take into consideration, even just standing on the sideline in all kinds of weather conditions with hair and makeup and and being dressed, (laughs) heels, whatever you're wearing, it's very different. How many times do you think during these challenges in your illustrious career as a sideline reporter, Brooke, did writing these little notes for your potential book, which is now real sideline confidential, was it cathartic for you to allow you to not maybe vent or say something that then somebody can say, oh, she's difficult? Because that's another thing you face as a woman. Mm-hmm. If you do voice your opinion, very much could be said, she's difficult. Was it cathartic? Oh, definitely. And, you know, I think when I would write these stories down, I didn't even really know if this book would come out. I I, I wanted it to. I thought, you know, this would be an amazing thing for me in my career but I don't know if I'm really going to write this book. Um, and so I, but I would still write down stories. What really was a turning point for me, Lisa Ann is after I had my first child and he's actually about to turn 10 and I, I had him, I did six weeks of maternity leave and I went back as it was about to be the Super Bowl, and I needed to be at work. And my boss told me, he looked me up and down he said, you haven't lost your, all your baby weight. I thought you'd be skinnier. And I was devastated. I mean, I thought I worked so hard to get back here after six weeks. Like I'm not sleeping. My baby doesn't sleep. This is a really a hard time for me. Um, and, and I thought, okay, I need to write this book. Cause I want to send a message to young women, a, that it's hard. It's not easy, but B you can do it and see other women are with you. We got you. Like we are here with you. And so that's when I really started to dig in and put my stories together, put my notes together. And I did a rough draft of the book. And in 2020, I sat down and read it because I had more time. And I thought, all right, this is a great starting point, but I'm actually going to start all the way over. And I know what I want to do. I know where this character needs to go. I, I talked to an agent and she really encouraged me to write it more modern day, just like what was going on in Washington, D.C. With, with the Redskins at the time. Now, obviously, the commanders. And I said, all right, I got this. And so that's when I just I, I locked in and I was like, I'm going to make this book happen. 
I mean, it must have been fascinating to look back at what you'd already written and then see these things happening in current time and knowing that any sports fan, male or female, that picks up this book is going to, oh yeah, I mean, this was actually happening. This is normalized in someone that's been on that sideline. It's all part of the day to day. And to those of us, it's this shocking news that we're hearing and everybody's like, oh no, yes, this stuff does go on. It's kept very quiet, but this, this story with then the Redskins, uh, now the commanders, that was the biggest news for that time. And it went away too quickly. We still are like, okay, what was the end result of this? How is this handled? Uh, how are we doing better? What are talks going on? Are there speakers going around team to team within the league, within the union saying, Hey, these were the variables. We want to make sure we do not have any similar situations. We don't hear about it anymore. I know. I, I do think though, the Dan Snyder situation was a wake up call. And especially I, there was congressional testimony. Um, there was breaking news. It was swept under the rug a little bit and then it came back up and it, you know, obviously he's now selling the team or sold the team. And I, I think that that kind of set a precedent too. like these things are coming out and you can't keep things hidden as much anymore with social media, with cameras that just can take, you know, with the, with the way things go viral. Now, when I was working for the NFL and the NFL, I mean, I, I had all sorts of things on my phone that I just deleted and I never would have thought to share them to social media. And that's just different now. I mean, it's just a different situation. And you also feel like, I think with what happened with me too, people feel like there's more of a comfort zone on social media to do that. Yeah. Without ever having a conversation with the other person about mm -hmm. maybe addressing the fact that this was inappropriate to you, right? Uh, you know, and making a deal. It's none of it was welcomed. But at the same time, you're talking about a phone and social media and text when you ended up giving your phone back after a gig to the next sideline reporter that was going to be taking your spot. He had an interesting development that you talk about in sideline confidential. That's right. Well, um, you know, I had a team issued phone and then I had my own phone and the team issued phone I knew was monitored and people had always said, be very careful with what you say on this phone, if players or coaches text you, you know, just be known that it, it can be monitored by HR. And I said, okay. So I had my phone and I would get texts from players and some are, some are fine. Some are very inappropriate. And I would just screenshot and keep it. So in case I needed it for my files, I had it, but I, you know, I didn't do anything about it. And so after I left and moved on, my phone went to the person who took over my position. He's still there and he's a great guy. And he came up to me at training camp that summer after I'd left the team. And he said, Brooke, I got your phone. And I don't think the players realized that I inherited your number, that it was a team phone. And he said, I feel so badly about these messages that you got. He said, and you're still getting them. I said, I had to have send some awkward texts to let players know that this was no longer your phone and it was mine. And he said, I, I'm just really sorry that you received those texts, which was so kind of him. And he was, he's a great guy. Um, and I think it was just shocking for him a little bit that that actually happened. And people that he knew and worked with were doing that. I mean, he really seems surprised that that would be going on. 
He's the perfect person to raise awareness, have empathy for other uh, female reporters, sign line reporters, broadcasters. He has seen something firsthand that nobody had to explain to him. But what's funny about the phone is that you're told, hey, HR is going to be you know, looking at this phone, so be careful what you put. But HR is not looking at the messages that are coming into you, Brooke, that were unwarranted. Like, Doesn't it kind of work both ways here? I know. Isn't that funny? I actually, as I was telling that story, just thought about that again, because um, I think if I had replied to them, then I probably would have felt some sort of repercussions, like something would have happened to me. But because they were coming from the the players, the HR really didn't handle, they were like, I'm going to let the coaches handle that, that we are, I, we handle personnel, front office, you know, the assistants, things like that. We're not going to worry about the players. And so, um, I just Which is really a huge missight, a huge yeah. missight. And maybe that, I mean, and maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I feel like that's the sense that I got, but I, I, I can't confirm the org chart at that point, but that's sort of like the feeling that I got. So now granted, if I went in there and said, this is happening, listen, I need you to do something about it. I'm sure they would have, but right. I didn't also because Lisa and I was scared. I felt so lucky to have that job. And I, I, I mean, I was lucky too, but I also felt like, I need to stay in my lane because if I challenge anyone, I could lose my job. They'll find someone else. There's a million other women, young women who want to work in the NFL and I, I can't say anything. So I just, I take it, take a screenshot in case I need it for later and that's it. And I move on. And, um, you know, I think that I felt a little bit of shame sometimes too. I'm like, you know, how do I act in front of the players who are sending me this message? I didn't really know. I was so young that I just, I wasn't really sure what I should be doing. And I wasn't always perfect. And I think, you know, sometimes you flirt back because you feel like that's what you should do. Or sometimes, you know, um, you, you just, you'd be silent or you joke around because you're like, Oh, I just want to make it less awkward. So I'll just joke with you. And even though you don't really like what you're joking about. And so I included that in the book, this heroine is not perfect. The heroine named Blake in the book, she is not perfect because as a young woman trying to navigate all that, who can be, it's really hard. And it's, you're figuring it all out and you're figuring out your boundaries. And, um, one thing that I found was like, listen, to be on the sidelines, to be a a face of an NFL team, you need to be pretty, but not sexy. You need to know a lot, but don't know more than the men in the room. And so walking that tightrope, I was really what I learned and I struggled with at first and then learned how to do much better as my career went on. But um, I, I wanted to show that for other young women because it is hard and you are going to make mistakes and that's okay. You know, that other women have done it too and you learn from them. Hey, and you're not going to learn how to navigate that until you have a couple of experiences. But when someone is coming at you in a text that you didn't, that was unwarranted, it also makes you feel a little bit discounted about the hard work that you are doing by learning the schemes, getting involved with everything that has to do with the team and all the knowledge. And I think your story, your actions, reminding young women, no matter what, this is part of navigating in this space. And it's just going to take you being on your toes and being smart, not responding to the messages, but saving them was a great idea. And again, this gave you more fodder notes, things to really emphasize on as you put together this book. Most definitely. And one thing that you just mentioned, Lisa Ann, was that I did get to learn so much in this position. And I'm very grateful because there were several coaches who really helped me. And I realized early on that knowledge is power. When you know more about 
a scheme, about a player's history, about their tendencies. I mean, that's people want that knowledge and that's what you're there for. So the more that I could learn and be just this knowledge factory, I knew then that was then going to translate into me doing my job better. And so I just needed to focus on that. And I was so lucky because the secondary coach called me into his office, said, listen, I, I know you've been writing some for the website about our defensive scheme. I really want to go through it with you. That way, you know, everything where, what I, where I'm coming from. And of course, I'm not going to share every secret. I mean, that's the point. Like, you know more than you're going to share out there. But it was so great because I then, you know, I, I worked with a secondary coach. I worked with the receivers coach and talking about the route tree and just different things to look for in different games. And um, it was, for me, it was so incredible to be around those coaches and, and have that knowledge. And so I was very lucky that I got to have that experience and, and learn from people within the team. So there, there was some awesome things that happened to me. Um, I don't want to say that, you know, my experience was just terrible because it wasn't, it was amazing. Not. Yeah. Right. But the, I, what I drew from was parts that were hard and challenging for women. And this isn't obviously just my story. I copy the book too. This is the story of other women who've worked in the NFL and I became friends with them as I worked NFL events. I worked two Super Bowls for the NFL and they bring in media representatives from different teams. So I got to know women, the 49ers, the Cardinals, um, the Jaguars you, from around the league and hear their stories. And we all kept in touch. And so, you know, I I was able and we, we would talk because there, there weren't that many of us. So when we were at yeah. these events, you know, we really became close and um, we kind of trade war stories, if you will. And so it was very helpful then for writing this book because I, I did send uh, the manuscript along early on to someone who had been with the Jaguars and she read it. She said, oh my goodness, like I know who you're talking about in some of those places. She said, I have PTSD because I've worked with some of those people in various roles and I know exactly where you're coming from on this. And, um, and then she gave me ideas. She said, well, you know, this is something that I saw. Why don't you incorporate this? So if this wasn't just my story, it, it incorporates other women's stories and it also incorporates fiction because I, I we have a common friend, Lisa Ann and John McClain, who I just respect and, and we love adore, yep. adore. He is um, kind of like the NFL general of Houston. I mean, he oh, yeah. uh, was oh, president yeah. of the NFL's writer association. He's mm -hmm. in Canton and the NFL media hall of fame. He was a longtime columnist for the Houston Chronicle. And I, I sent him the book early on because I'm like, John is like the godfather in Houston for the NFL. If he doesn't like it, then I'm, it's a bad situation for me. If he loves it. All right, this is good. And, um, he read it, sent me a text said, Brooke, call me about the book. And Lisa Ann, I was so nervous. And he gets on the phone. He goes, Brooke, I loved it. When are you going to write a sequel? And I was like, Oh, John, Oh my goodness. He's like, it's so good. But he, but we went to do, we did an event together. And he said before the event, all right, you got to tell me who the quarterback was, who's Seth. And I said, oh, I made that up. There was no Seth. And he said, no, 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 I know who it is. I said, John, you cannot tell people that because there really is no Seth. <laughs> I promise you. And he's like, no, I have an idea. I said, John, he goes, you can tell me later. I said, seriously, John, no Seth. This is not my autobiography. It's some of my stories mixed in with other people's stories in fiction. I think he was a little, he was like, oh, darn, I, I, had, I had a hunch on this one. Oh, I bet you he had been thinking about it and writing notes and doing process of eliminating. Yes. He's a brilliant man. <laughs> he He's is. fierce. He's full of love. He's incredibly respected in, in Houston, for sure, in the sports world, for sure. But so much of what you said, too, is a reminder. You're learning from a smaller group of women, women at that time. I'm sure when you guys showed up these events, you just had your own table at dinner. Cause no, I remember getting into fantasy <laughs> football in 2013 and it was like, we were at the kids table, but it was fine. Cause we had such a small group and 
now there's so many more women involved, which is exciting. But the amount of hours that you put into learning schemes and getting that deep into it, you came back to work after your first son, you had a second. Was there any moment where you were like, I literally study for 30 hours a week to be, or maybe more to be ready each week. And now I have two children. Yes. So, you know, I feel like for the most part, sideline reporters prepare, I mean, all week and all week, all week. And no one sees the preparation. All because, week. Nope. Nope. You know, you, you want, it is so transparent when you don't know what you're talking about. So you need to get to know each team and obviously you're covering all these different teams. And so you need to get to know the the players on the team have some background stories um, you get, you, you have meetings with coaches, you watch film. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And I, you know, I would prepare and normally a lot of times, I mean, I would do more than one game usually. Cause I, I, in Texas, high school football is very big. Um, I interviewed Kyler Murray in Cowboy stadium at the, when the, for the state, when he won the state championship wow. and there were like 70,000 people there. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I was, I did all different levels and, um, so, you know, you're, I would, I would do some of the big high school games. Cause you're talking about some really big players coming out. And uh, at that point, Kyler was one of the most popular players in the state to follow in high school football. And I mean, Fox sent there, they had a Cowboys game the next day. And so we had the Fox crew there shooting. It was, a, it was, you know, it was, it was a big deal. Yeah. Um, and that's Texas football. So, you know, but you're preparing for all these different levels and you're, you know, the interviews with the coaches, the players, learning their schemes, watching the tape, all of that, you know, people see a very little glimpse of how much you really need to do and prepare up leading up to the game. Um, and also, I mean, just getting ready for it, like appearance wise, because a lot of times, like you said, you're out in the rain and the wind, the cold in Houston or in Texas, the heat or the heat. The- the heat <laughs> melting. So everything um, just comes everything, off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did a game eight and a half months pregnant at NRG. It was a college game. It was not pretty. <laughs> I was like this. I mean, I, but I, you know what? I, mean, I was so proud of myself, but at one point a cannon went off. I was following an injured player off trying to get a report on his injury. And this, the cannon went off for someone's touch, a team's touchdown. And the producer went to my ear. He goes, Oh my goodness did you go into labor? Cause I, I kind of shook for a second. He goes, that would be great. We would, we would make top 10 on ESPN if you went into labor. I'm like, I really want to go to labor on the sidelines of the field. <laughs> He's like, Oh, that would be so awesome. And I'm like, no, let's, let's just like, keep it moving here. This is, <laughs> but then, I mean, you know, I'm doing these stand-ups and my, my baby was going crazy. And this kid, we'd been next to a cannon that had been shot. So I'm like trying to interview a coach and I'm like, a baby's kicking me in the ribs. <laughs> The fun of having a great producer in your ear because you're out there alone, but you're not alone. And the moment you're still processing what just happened. And in his mind, he's thinking getting on ASPN top 10 He's like, oh, this could be awesome. Let me ask her. Are we having the baby right now? This is cool. And you're like, am I okay? Am I okay? Is my baby okay? Is my baby okay? And I'm sweating. Just a remarkable amount of stories and memories. But you eventually decided that, you know, I would like to choose a different life for myself now. You write your novel, and now you probably see yourself really enjoying considering writing another book, speaking to female broadcasters, and broadening the reach of helping everyone understand what they may go through and how to best process it and move forward. That's right, Lisa. And um, 
I loved my career and I, I do miss it. I mean, there's nothing like being on the sidelines for a game, the adrenaline of it and, and the human connection. I loved the personal stories and I love connecting the audience to those players and to the teams and just, you know, sports in a, in a bigger level brings together all walks of life. And you feel that in the stadium, you feel people you know, uniting for their team. And I, I've always loved that. But it is a very difficult schedule when you have a family. And so you're working nights, weekends, holidays, the complete opposite schedule of my husband. And so and he is more of like a nine to five day job. So it was hard. It was difficult. And after I had my second child, it was just, it, I, I missed time with my kids and I was struggling with that. And so um, it kind of worked out where I was like, I have this dream to write the book. I want to take a little time away. And so it, it all came together. and. I, I, people have asked me as I've been out to promote the book, if I will ever go back to TV. And I don't think so. I mean, maybe, you know, if something amazing came along, but I love writing and I do want to write another book. And this book really spoke to me. I mean, I just, I, you know, even when I started the editing process, I enjoyed going back and reading it and rereading it and refining it. And I felt That's like a it had a feeling. That's had, a great feeling. Yeah, well, you, you've written books, you know, like yeah, I, it's I a had great a message feeling. and I had this something to share. So people have asked me about writing a sequel and I'm thinking about that. And someone asked me in an interview about doing a spinoff. There's a really fun character, Emily. Once again, she's totally fiction. I, I wish I'd had an Emily because she's a fun, like the ideal best friend for an office. Yeah. 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 So I had so much fun writing her. And so someone said, well, you do a spinoff on Emily. I had never thought of that, but that was kind of a fun idea. And then I also have an idea for a book that is my kids, my oldest plays a lot of Little League and we're deep into Little League culture. And I, I've seen the drama there and I thought, okay, Bad News Bears meets Desperate Housewives. There's like a whole... And, and these dads living out their dreams through their kids and, oh, you know, the parents at little league are so intense. It's so very intense, intense. man. I know <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> and I got to tell you when you're that kid, because my dad had those moments, my brother's basketball games and at mine, we were young. You're so embarrassed. All you want to do is fit in at that age and you don't want to lose the game for your teammates. And then your dad is yelling and you're, <laughs> but that's real. It's real. And it's not, it's not just the dads, it's the moms yelling. It's everyone yelling. It's very, a very intense environment. And, um, I had just felt like I was in the stands last year taking notes last spring. And someone looked at me like, are we going to be in your book? And I was like, well, maybe. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I have, um, I have some fun ideas for that. That's going to be you more enjoyed, of my fun you, Look, you enjoyed chasing your dream. You got to cover USC USC at probably the most exciting time in the past 25 years. Uh, Pete wow. Carroll at the beginning of his journey of being this incredible. I mean, the man is so fit at his age and still looks like he absolutely loves what he does. And now you get to be home with your family, doing the things that matter. Kids need you and out there sharing your short stories that, again, everyone knows you did not actually live these stories because this is a novel. It's sideline confidential. So glad to share it with everybody, Brooke Bentley. And I hope that you enjoy wherever you spin off all of these to be because it's a great read. Everybody's going to love it. Oh, thank you, Lisa Ann. It has been so much fun. And what's been really cool is that 
people from all over have connected with it. At first, you know, my publisher thought, well, this might be more regional. And the, the book actually takes place in Oklahoma City. It's a fictitious team because, like I said, this is not just based on one team. And um, I'm actually, the book right now, and it will be through January, um, is in airports, 21 airports across the nation, including Newark, because it's been popular all over. I mean, I think people have really just connected with it no matter where they are. And they feel, you know, no matter what, they don't have to even be into sports. They feel that connection to the heroine. Um, working in a male-dominated industry, there's a way that you can find a connection there. And so it's been, it's been really cool. I was so excited. I found out in this, like December 1, I went into airports all over the U.S. So that was a neat deal. That's really exciting. It is a, a fun read on a plane. It, you could easily do it if you're a fast reader, coast to coast, L.A. to New York, because it's so easy to just dig into. I loved it. I can't wait when I visit it. When I say hi to it, I'll take a picture if I see it in an airport and I'll send it to you, Brooke. Thank you so oh, much for do. joining. Everyone, go to brookebentley.com. Follow on all social media at Brookie Bentley and get your hands on a perfect Christmas gift. Right. And that's Sideline Confidential. Thank you, Lisa Ann. You can go to brookebentley.com. You can find this book on Amazon. You can follow Brooke at Brookie Bentley. This is an amazing share of short story, a great novel, different characters, really a fun read. And it, it is, you know, it, it's something that I think everyone can really enjoy. The holidays are a great time to just kick back, be cozy and read. So check out that book, look for your tickets at Ticket Rev. And now the moment that you've all been waiting for, the Ask Lisa and Mailbag. If you would like to be a part of the mailbag, you can email me at asklisaann at gmail.com. I only answer questions on the podcast, so if you're going to send one, you've got to tune in to listen. Let's see what we've got today. We've got one subject matter. Lisa, I've got a question about music. To Lisa Ann, what type of music do you listen to when you exercise and when you're just chilling out at home? Are there any specific bands, group, artists that are in your go-to playlist? I love reading your books and I discover something new each time I reread them. Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Great question. My music ranges. Uh, when I get to the gym, there's multiple things that happen. It depends if I'm doing cardio first or if I'm lifting weights first. But when I'm doing weights, I go down the rabbit hole with some of the most ratchet rap you can find. And I just love the beats and I love it's hard. And usually the riffs make me laugh. I've been in this T Grizzly phase lately. I've been in, um, ski mask slump God like this. These are just, it's random. A lot of little Wayne, of course, a lot of Drake, a lot of, a lot of G easy. But when I go to do cardio and I want to just have longer songs Old school rock gives you the longer songs. Also like alternative rock. So I'll go back to like Tool, Raids Against the Machine, Alice in Chains, um, Nine Inch Nails. These songs were like minimum five minutes, but some seven, nine minutes. And sometimes when this song goes up and then it ends and it's like a two and a half minute song, it takes you a lot of those to do an hour of cardio. But when you've got these long songs and you want to run and I'll tell myself, okay, we'll run a sprint until this song is over. I don't want to run a two and a half minute sprint. I want to run a seven minute till I'm dying. Okay. So I mix it up at the gym. I go back and forth at home. 
If I'm just chilling at home, I'm still a Pandora user. And I understand the world is on Spotify now, but I'm still a Pandora user. And I'll go to the chill out radio on Pandora. It's a perfect mix of background music. If I really, really want to relax, I'm taking a bath or, or maybe I'm getting ready to go to the bed, I play the spa music on Pandora. If I'm out and about taking a walk and I'm not listening to sports radio, which is unusual, uh, I'll go down the old 90s classics like Sublime, um, Third Eye Blind, like all these different, like this, just a, but Sublime is usually the category on Pandora I go to. And then it just gives me everything like Nirvana will pop into there, just like fun music that takes me back to the 90s when I first moved to California. When I first moved to California, Sublime wasn't big yet. So I had a friend and we were going to see Sublime play out of like garages in Long Beach, um, not even knowing. And that time Gwen Stefani was still their backup dancer and backup vocalist. Um, So like this was normal to me. And then they blow up. So I go back to that time. Remember how fun. What a great time that was for me. So I listen to a range, range of music. And then I'll go, I'll go Frank Sinatra if it's a beautiful evening and I want to sit out on my patio and have a glass of wine. I'll go with some Sinatra. I love that rabbit hole. It takes me down. Get Nat King Cole, just some classics. I really listen to everything. The only thing I don't really listen to is country. And there's no reason, nothing against it. I just haven't fallen down that category yet. But Jeff, I hope that answers your question, lets you know I listen to a little bit of everything. I could have said that, but it would have been a much shorter answer. We got another one. Dear Lisa, my name is Lucas, and I'm writing to you from Roklop, Holen. Such a big fan of yours. So getting to the point, I would like to ask you, how do you manage with popularity? Is it disturbing? With kisses from Poland. Popularity is interesting. Disturbing would be a little bit no, uh, not disturbing, but it can be jarring. It can be a lot. But then again, there's ways where I use it as a vehicle. My popularity has gotten me to travel around the world. So there has to be more gratitude than disappointment. The only time it's tricky is the expectations that sometimes other people put on you. So as much as somebody is a fan, their level of being a fan really does rely on what more they want from you than just being a fan. That's when it gets disturbing. I'll use that word. That's when it gets disturbing because it doesn't change for me. My reactions and interactions are always the same. I only meet fans at public events. And so when I'm not working and I'm not at an event, and somebody comes up to me in a way of like, hey, you know, can we do a picture? You know, da da da. Uh, can we hang out? Like da da da. And I'm always like, okay, let's relax here. I'm not working right now. I don't want to do this right now. I just want to be in my own thing. So it's a matter of time and place. But it's also a matter of, you know, of course, you know, when I go through the mailbag email account, hold on, water break. Of course, you know that 99% of the emails are. Hi, Lisa Ann. I'm a big fan. I would do anything to meet you. How can I meet you? Can you come here? Can I come there? That kind of a thing. That's a bit odd to me because I've been fans of many people. And as a matter of fact, I'm a huge fan of the Pat McAfee show. And everybody's like, why don't you go on the show? And I'm like, well, because I'm a fan and I just want to enjoy it as a fan. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't need to, I don't need to be in their space. I want to just be a fan and just enjoy it from a distance. And I love the show. I feel the same way about Greenie. I'm not looking to go on Greenie. I'm not looking to meet Greenie. I just love listening to Greenie. 
I admire his skill as a broadcaster. His ability to be so smooth blows me away on the daily. He makes me want to be better at speaking. He makes me want to expand my vocabulary. So I don't have those same levels of entitlement or I don't feel that someone owes me something because I'm their fan. Because see, the true fact is I'm a fan because I'm already getting something. I'm getting the satisfaction when I listen to Greeny about getting great sports tech takes with no negative connotations. And he's not one of those people that, that bangs hard on anybody. Even now talking about the college decision with the championship, we're talking about referees. I was listening this morning and he said, look, we're not condemning the refs. It's a very tough job. They're just doing the best they can. That is such a Greeny thing. Everybody else wants to just kill the refs right now because they made some bad calls, especially in the Sunday night game. So what I'm getting from him is so enjoyable and I learn and I'm getting my sports takes. When I switch over at noon to McAfee and I get to get my sports takes and laugh and get great stories, Boston Connor, you know, everybody making me laugh. Boston Connor should know that when I need to laugh, I go back to the episode that was their first day back from holiday break last year when Connor tells a story about pooping his pants. It is the funniest story, and I've probably added to the millions of views. I watch it at least five times a week. It's just a clip of it, and it just makes me giggle. And it makes me laugh because everybody else in the room is laughing, and to see Pat laughing that hard makes me laugh. So again, I'm rambling on, but what I'm explaining is if you're a fan, it's because the artist that you're a fan of, whether they're an entertainer, a writer, a podcaster, whatever, it's because they've already given you something that satisfies you. And that is the point. You should already be satisfied and be able to admire someone from a distance without expecting or needing more because they've already given you what you got that made you be a fan. And there should be nothing that they owe you moving forward. Nobody that I admire owes me anything. I would never ask someone to meet me. I would never ask someone for their time. I would never even stop someone and ask them for a photo. Like if I saw Greeny and his wife walking down the street, I'd say hello and keep walking because I get enough. I'm thrilled when I get to listen to his show five days a week. I'm bummed when he's on vacation. Like it's, it's that much. So think about that. So it's not disturbing for me, but when I think about the fact that other people who have already enjoyed what I've provided want more, there becomes a little bit of a fear factor there. People tend to get a little obsessed. People tend to get a little bit demanding and that's when it becomes disturbing. Thank you for the question, Lucas. We got two more right here. All right. Here's a good one. Lisa, hope all is well with your busy schedule. I'm sure it's difficult to be committed to working out and training with such a demanding schedule. I'm reaching out to offer personal training if this is something you would be interested in. Would work? Would you work with a personal trainer? Working with you would be a privilege because you stay in great shape and I feel you would have a big following with working out. So my question is, would you work with a personal trainer? Thanks for your time, Nick. The reason I chose this question is because obviously... I love to work out and I want to remind everybody that there was a time when I had a personal trainer. My first interactions with fitness and the fitness culture and fitness lifestyle from, from becoming a spin instructor to working out, my first introduction to fitness was having a trainer for a year, almost kept for two years. 
And she was amazing. And what I'm saying here and the reason I'm saying it is because it's important if somebody is working out for the first time, I do believe that a trainer is imperative. Because you can make mistakes. You could be doing something wrong. You could be causing more damage than good. But on my end, because I took those tools and because I had such a good trainer and I can remember the notes on my form when I'm doing lat pull downs, I can remember how she would put her knee in the center of my back to remind me how to stay up. All of these things have stayed with me. Now, the gym is my only time where I don't have to communicate with someone else. The gym is my time to be in my thoughts. And it's also a form of meditation for me because I start my gym workout by thinking about my day, uh, what I need to accomplish, what, what I put on my list from the night before. I take the second half of the workout to start thinking about long-term goals. And then I go into the sauna and meditate after my workout where I just am in silence, in gratitude, thinking about how happy I am that I have a sauna in my building, how lucky I am to have a beautiful gym in my building and all of those things. So I also work out at flexible times, which need to be in my control. And I found later as I got busier, it was harder to arrange with a trainer because if something came up for me and I needed to work out maybe two hours later than what I had scheduled, you don't want to be canceling on a trainer. They could be training somebody else. So Nick, thank you for the offer. I love working out on my own. I appreciate it very much. Funny joke though, when trainers used to come up to me at the gym when I used to work out at a public gym and, you know, a new trainer would come, he wouldn't know that everyone's already asked you and he'd come up to me, you know, I really think you could use a trainer. And I would always look at them and say, so are you saying what I'm doing isn't working? Are you saying I'm not in good shape? And I would trick them. And then they would turn around and walk away. And then it would be an ongoing joke with the manager because they always knew I would say that. But for anyone out there looking to make fitness a goal in the new year, which we, so many people do and don't stick with it, stick with it. You can hire a, a personal trainer. There's a lot of good trainers on social media as well. But if it is your first time working with weights and doing things you haven't done before, I do advise hiring a trainer to make sure that your form is right. Make sure you're stretching properly and making sure you don't hurt yourself. So thanks, Nick. But I am going to be on the workout tear of a lifetime since I'm not traveling for the next, I don't know, six, maybe eight weeks. I get to work out. Uh, oh, it's so exciting. I'll be swimming again at night after I do my workouts in the morning. Like, very excited about this. We got one last email. Again, if you want to be a part of the mailbag, you can email asklisaann at gmail.com. All right, we got one here from Nick. Nick says, hi, Lisa Ann. I hope all is well and you had a great Thanksgiving. Would like to ask your feelings on the Eagles' famous tush push. Do you think it should be banned? I personally do not like it, and I feel like players might start getting injured from the play. Thanks, David. I love the tush push. The reason I love it is because it's so unusual that one team can formulate something that is so specific to their quarterback and their O-line that they can make something work that no other team can figure out. Now, I've been listening to other broadcasters talk about this, and, it, and a lot of people say it's the strength of Jalen Hurts' legs that make it possible for him. 
Other teams have tried it and it's not working. But this is the amazing part of schemes, something that our guest that wrote Sideline Confidential, Brooke Bentley, knew all about because Brooke got brought in when she was sideline reporting for the Houston Texans to learn about the schemes. The fact that a team can have something going that nobody else can duplicate, I think is awesome. It makes the game so exciting. Now, no, her, no, there's been no injuries from this so far because this team knows exactly how to do this. Could be injuries down the road from other teams trying, not sure. But injuries are part of the game. And I don't want this to be taken away from the Philadelphia Eagles. I think this gives them a very unique edge and a challenge. And what the real challenge should be, and this is where teams are missing their mark, if you ask me, up against Philadelphia, why are you letting them get that close to the end zone where it's possible? Why are you letting them get so close to their first down? Defenses have to be prepared that in a game of inches – If that's what you've left on the table, you're now at risk for the infamous tush push. Some are calling it the brotherly shove since Philadelphia is the home of brotherly love. Uh, I don't think it should go away. I think it's a great part of the game. I love any advantage, edge. It's legal as of now. I did read yesterday that Goodell is thinking about axing it for next season. I don't like that at all. I think we keep it, but I think also... I keep all of you around for these amazing emails. Thank you so much for sending them. AskLisaAnn at gmail.com. Thank you to my sponsor at TicketRev. You all should go to TicketRev.com to learn more about the app. Download the app. Check out a show near you. Take a friend. Take a family member. Build a little memory that you'll have together. Take a photo. So much better than a sweater that could be put in the dryer and shrink. Right? Think about that. Check out Brooks Brook Book sideline confidential. Go to brookbentley.com. Find out everything else you need to know here and follow at Brookie Bentley. Shoplisaand.com is where you can get your 2024 adventure calendar. Better Haves SXM is the social media you need to follow. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. My co-host, Brett Raybold, and it's Brett with one T. So if you look them up online, Brett with one T, remember that. We are your better halves, and you get to hear our first episode on Friday, December 15th. I thank you all for listening to another episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. 